I'm, uh, I'm excited to go into the Christmas season here, and uh, we're going we're gonna to start this series this weekend called uh, Here With Me, and uh, I'm excited to walk us through this this next few weeks because uh, what I want you to see is um, the different and the powerful ways that Jesus interacts with you personally. Uh, and, and Christmas is, that's like a huge piece of that, that that's what that's all about. Like the whole idea that Jesus uh, came incarnate, and that's just a fancy word for he put skin on. So he, he came and the, the Bible says the word became flesh, he dwelt among us. So like when we think about Jesus and we think about our relationship with Jesus, we're supposed to think about that on, on personal levels. And so we're just gonna take the, you know, the next, this kind of this little season that we're in here and uh, I want to show you that and, and help you see how he can, he deals with your sin and then he can enter your pain and your problems and, and every aspect of, of your heart. So I'm excited to do it. I'm always a little conflicted at Christmas time because I, I, I think it's good, I think, I think it's good, but we, at Christmas time, we, we really try to elevate ourselves, right? I mean, that's kind of like the thing that we talk about a lot. Like, it's Christmas, like, don't be a jerk. Like, it's Christmas, tip your waitress, that kind of thing. So, like, we always, like, elevate our, we want to elevate ourselves a little bit, and then we talk about, like, the, the hope and the peace and the joy of, of Christ. I think all that's, I think it's good. I think it's good. I, I, I think looking and saying, uh, let's be a, let's, Let's work at being closer to who God has actually called us and created us to be is, a, is relatively a positive thing. I don't see a big downside to it. I'm always a little conflicted because we do that while like the, the planet still spins, you know, kind of thing. So like we're talking about like the hope and the joy and the power of Jesus. And like there's all this stuff going on in, in our, like the world, there's stuff going on in our like our country and then like our personal lives. And like that stuff doesn't turn off, you know? So it's, that's happening while we're talking about these things. And, and in fact, if you, if I got out um, Luke chapter two and just started going through the, the story of the angels announcing the birth of Christ, if we just looked at the geography that that all play Bethlehem, Jerusalem. Like if we looked at the geography of all that right now, that part of the world is absolutely on fire. And there's wars and there's death and there's hostages and there's maiming and there's, it, it's, it's, it's horrific what's happening. And, and then that's literally playing out right now. And then we're talking about, and Jesus, you know, to you a savior was given and the city of David is Christ. You know, and so... It's always a little bit of a conflict for me that the pain and the problems of the world continue to function, and then it kind of makes, it kind of contrasts the hope and the power and the meaning of Jesus, like in a powerful way. That's why I think it's positive. Like if it wasn't for the hope and power of Jesus, this is all that we would be, be left with. But it's been fascinating. I've just been observing, like the, I'm, I'm watching kind of, uh, you know, on the news, you see like, you know, the globe and the country and then personalized. I'm watching like as things become chaotic, 
And as things are broken down and norms are thrown away and logic is no longer embraced and we're supposed to believe things that make no sense and then if you don't believe it, you kind of get in trouble for it. Like as, as all of that is happening and then what happens is all that shows up in our personal lives. So now there's tension with our family, there's tension within ourselves, there's people we love and we're not sure about what they're doing. As all of that plays out, and I see that playing out in deeper and deeper and kind of broader and broader ways. And that's kind of our world right now. If you were just going to go on X or, you know, TikTok, just look at your news feeds. That's what you would see all the time. As that's playing out, I kind of simultaneously see Jesus on the move. Like there is a, there is a spiritual stirring and there is a spiritual hunger that is, that is unique. Um, if, you, if you Google that same question, you'll start seeing like the, these breakouts of spiritual movements, like this football team in Alabama had a chapel service, 200 people responded and, and uh, to Christ and are like, you know what, there's a lake outside, let's just go baptize everybody. It's like 200 people get baptized. Uh, you're seeing in California thousands of people being baptized uh, in, in the ocean out there. There's a spiritual movement. See that in our own church. Like there's, there's the, the baptisms have been more in a concentrated time than I've ever seen. I've been around for 30 years here. But like this powerful thing, like God is stirring. And you see it like globally. Uh, one of the places that revival is the strongest in the world is Iraq. Like you see it like globally. So like as things get chaotic and confusing and frustrating and disillusioning, it's kind of like the darker it gets, the brighter the gospel becomes. And what happens is like suddenly if, if you can be in a position where you can help Jesus make sense to someone, that they like recognize that that's what they're looking for. And they're like, I, I want that, I'm in on that. Because they're, they're searching and longing and then when that, when that longing comes together with like that truth, they don't collide, they kind of lock on to each other. And it's just this really amazing thing. And, and I've been around spiritual move, I'm, I'm, I'm old, I know I'm sexy and all that kind of stuff, but I'm older than you think. And I've been around like spiritual movements for a long time. I haven't seen this. I've seen God do some amazing things. I haven't seen this. And it's different. And we're very much a part of it. Like, this is happening at Grace Church too. Very much a part of it. And, it, and it, it's almost in contrast to, to the pain and the struggles of our, of our world. I was thinking about this and I got to thinking about uh, in Acts chapter 8, if you've got a Bible, you can go there or on your phone, it's on the app. Acts chapter 8, there's a, there's a, a story that is recant, uh, recalled in Acts chapter 8 about a guy named Philip. We call him Philip the Evangelist. And another guy that the Bible just calls the Ethiopian eunuch. That's like how he's titled in, in the Bible. So Philip is a follower of Jesus. The Ethiopian eunuch is a guy searching for Jesus. So he would have he had a really complicated story. What would have happened is when he was little... When he was young, he would have been made a eunuch. It's the way the ancient world did it because 
the, the, the thread of power went down through the bloodline. So if you're going to work close to the queen or the king, you, were, you became a eunuch so that you couldn't reproduce. So that was this guy. So this guy would have grown up having something like forced upon him that he didn't want. Uh, because that was forced upon him, he would have looked different. He would have sounded different. He wouldn't have sounded like a normal like adult man. But at the same time, he had money and he was powerful because he, he was a, a, a royal figure. He served the queen of Ethiopia, the, the Bible says. So this guy is a fascinating guy, and he's a guy that was a searcher. Uh, in, in that part of Ethiopia, and this time, uh, he would have been raised in what we would probably call spiritualism, animism, that kind of thing. He would have worshipped the tree and the sun and the, you know, the, the animal kind of a thing. But we also, the Bible seems to say like he has like this interest in Judaism. So he went to Jerusalem and one of their festivals. Uh, when he was in Jerusalem, whether he went on his own or like he was sent down there, we don't know. But when he was there, he would have picked up a, a copy of part of the book of Isaiah. So think about going to like a conference and there's vendors. That's what he would have found. And he would have bought one of these things. And the Bible says that he was reading it. So this is uh, chapter 28 of Acts 8. He was now returning, sitting in his carriage. And he was reading aloud from the prophet Isaiah. So he's reading this scroll as he's going home. God sees his searching, knows his heart. And God does a miracle and he sends... Philip, the evangelist Philip. And, and the Bible says that Philip comes and he starts running beside the chariot, right? And so he's running beside the chariot and he looks at the, the Ethiopian and he's like, do you know what you're reading? Do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian looks back at Philip and he says, um, no, like I, I don't understand what I'm reading and how can I know unless someone instructs me? And he urged Philip to get into the chariot. So, so Philip gets into this carriage with the Ethiopian and, and he is looking at him and talking to him about Isaiah chapter 53 and, and the, as the guy's trying to get his head around it. So this is, what, this is what Isaiah 53 says. We can just read it together if you want. So this is what the Ethiopian is reading. So like verse two, he says, my servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender shoot, like a dry root, uh, like a root and dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows acquainted with deepest grief. Yet in our weakness, he carried it, uh, that he carried it was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins, but that wasn't the case. He was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sin. He was beaten so that we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep go astray and we go away. We've all left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter as a sheep is silent before the shears. He didn't open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief when he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, 
he will be satisfied. So that's what this Ethiopian is reading. Philip comes along. He's like, hey, you know what you're reading? He's like, nope. How about you hop in and explain it to me? And, and he looks at Philip and he, he asks him a question. He says, this, this thing that I'm reading and this guy that's been crushed and rejected and, and despised and, and been unfalsely like accused or falsely accused and, and nobody loves him or likes him. Is that, is that Isaiah talking about Isaiah? Like, is that, who wrote it? Is it that guy? Is it Isaiah? Because Isaiah's life sounds a lot like my life. Like, I've had all this injustice in my life. What, what did I ever do? I never asked. This is just the life that got forced on me. And, and I feel nobody knows what to do with me because I'm a eunuch. I'm not going to have a wife and family. Nobody wants to be around me. So I feel despised. I feel rejected. I, I feel, like, persecuted. Is, is, is Isaiah a eunuch? Is that what's going on? And Philip, the Bible says, looked at him and said, hey, he says, I can, I can explain this to you if you want me to. The guy's like, I want you to. And Philip, the Bible says, started with Isaiah chapter 53 and from that point in scripture went all the way through the gospel. So Philip is sitting in the carriage with the eunuch and he's like, hey man, it's not, this is not Isaiah writing his life story. Who Isaiah is writing about is Jesus. And he, just, he wrote about Jesus 700 years before Jesus was born. And he did that in part so that when Jesus was born and lived and died, we would know that Jesus was the Messiah. So the Bible says Philip started to explain the gospel. So he's looking at this Ethiopian. He's like, man, you're not going to believe this. But this person, Jesus, came to be with you. He came here to be with you. And he came and he experienced life. He is the one who was like a tender shoot, like a root and dry ground. He, he came vulnerable, right? He came vulnerable. And that was him. He, he was the one. There was nothing he, really attractive about him. In fact, people would have looked at him. They wouldn't have been drawn to him. Later on, the Bible says he was so marred that people were repulsed by him. He was despised and he was rejected and he was acquainted with deep sorrow. And he just started going through this process. And he was starting to explain to the Ethiopian, he's like, this is who Christ is and this is what he does. Like he came down and he put skin on and he was vulnerable just as a baby, just like we're vulnerable. You ever feel vulnerable? Well, Jesus was vulnerable. And you can imagine the conversation. Why was that important? Because he wants you to know that he came to be with you. This is not somebody else who was a eunuch walking a mile in your shoes. This is another human being who feels and thinks and receives and reacts in the exact same ways you do. And Jesus came and put skin on so that we could understand his vulnerability. He was despised and rejected. Why was that important that he was despised and rejected? Well, don't you feel sometimes despised and rejected? You know how lonely that makes you? 
And it doesn't matter what you have. Just like the Ethiopian, he had power, but he felt deeply insecure. He had wealth, but he was lonely all the time. People, people would, would kind of like, you know, kiss up to him a little bit, but when they were behind him and away from him, they would talk about him in the cruelest terms possible. He's looking at the, at the Ethiopian. He's like, Jesus can relate to that. Jesus can relate to that. And he wants you to know that he can relate to that. He, he wants you to know that he, he came so that you could recognize it. Like, why, why did Jesus... Why did Jesus raise people from the dead? Well, he rose people from the dead because we're human beings and we know that we can't do that. So when Jesus would do that, we realize, well, we're not looking at just a teacher or a prophet. We're looking at the son of God. Look at the power he has. Why did he feed 5,000 people with some homeschool kids lunch? Because we know that that can't be done. So when he did that, we knew that we were looking at God. And by the way, why would God even care that people had lunch? Because we know what it's like to be hungry, and we know how badly we need to satisfy that when we're in hunger. And Philip is looking at the Ethiopian. He's like, bro, listen, like what's going on is God is, he came to be with you. And he came to relate to you, and he communicated who he was through the human experience so that you could understand the mind of God. We wouldn't just pick that up on our own, but when Jesus heals, or Jesus hungers, or Jesus is tempted, or Jesus, when we have a, a high priest, the Bible says, that was tempted in every way that we are, and sympathizes with us, we can know that Christ loves us and came to be with us and is with us in those times. And he looks at this eunuch and he says, that's who this is. This is, this is Jesus who took the punishment for our sins on himself. He didn't sin. He was punished like a sinner, but he was pierced, he was crushed, he was beaten, he was whipped. He didn't sin. We're the ones who went astray. We're the ones who left God's path to follow our own way. But God laid our sins on him. So he never did anything, but he was oppressed. He was treated harshly. He, he, he was led like a lamb to the slaughter, like a sheep, a silent fortune, but he didn't open his mouth. He was falsely accused. You ever been falsely accused? He was falsely accused. He didn't lawyer up. He didn't get his phone out and record Karen. He didn't do any of it. He was silent. It, my Ethiopian friend, it's almost like he wanted it to play out that way. And even though he could stop it, he would not and did not want to stop it. He was struck down for our people. He had done no wrong. He never deceived, but he was buried like a criminal. And it was God's good plan. It was God's good plan that he was crushed and it caused him grief. And when that plan played out and he saw that it was accomplished, he was satisfied. When he died on that cross, he hung his head and he said, it is finished. 
I did what I came here to do. And Philip is looking at that Ethiopian and he's saying, that person, that is the person that you're looking for. That is the person that would cause you to travel and investigate and wonder. It's that person who can relate to your pain, who can relate to your rejection, who, is, who cares enough to intervene with your sin, who knows what it's like to have everything in the world and be, feel lonely. He knows what it's like to be abandoned by like his best friend in his greatest hour of need. He knows grief. He knows what it's like to have to cause his own mother to watch him be tortured and die. And he took all of that upon himself because when you're alone and you're conflicted and you're oppressed and you've been treated unjustly, he wants you to know that he is there with you in that moment. That's who you're reading about in Isaiah chapter 53. You're reading about the promised Messiah, Jesus Christ. I was, I was this week, I was, uh, I was trying to keep up on the news, you know, and things like that. You know how the internet reads your mind? It's a little scary. I'm, Terminators are coming, I'm telling you. And it's Terminator 2. It's the hard ones to kill. It's that one. And so, like, it's going to happen. So, the internet read my mind, and I'm looking at all this stuff, and it, it put into my feed this interview of this young woman. And, and so she's probably, I don't know, I probably guessed 25. And she was, she was telling her story in front of a bunch of people, and I just started watching the video. And she told her story about her life. And so she grew up next to the Gaza Strip. And she's an Israeli who grew up next to the Gaza Strip. And so the interviewer is like, well, what did you think about that? She said, I hated it. I hated it. I hated everything about it. I didn't want to be there. My parents kind of made us go there. I hated that there was violence around me all the time, like the rockets were coming over and you could hear the gunshots and there was always somebody getting hurt or murdered in the whole thing. She said, I hated, I hated the sound of, I just call it the Arabic language, like I, I hated it because it was always negative to me and I was taught to hate it. So I was like, those people over there are the people that I hate. And she said, I, and it's just the way that I was raised. You always thought everything bad, everything negative. I hate those things. And she said, I, I, I hated my life. I hated where I lived. I hated how I thought. I hated how people acted toward me. I hated how I acted toward other people. And my life, I had a life that was imposed upon me, a life that I felt trapped in, I knew that I was hated and rejected from the people over there, and I knew that I hated and rejected them, and that was my life. So the interviewer asked her, he said, uh, he said, can you, uh, can you, he's like, I want to ask you a couple questions. She said, okay, he said, where was God in this whole thing? Like, when you thought about God and you thought about Jesus, how did that intersect with your life? What was that out? And this is what she said. This was her answer. She said, what I thought was this. I could never understand why I would believe in or follow a God, uh, follow the God that was presented to me in my culture. I never understood why I would believe in him or follow that. Because that God only came through my cultural confines. 
Like you're, you know, you're Israeli, you're Jewish. This is, this is how you think about all those things. And if you don't think from that point of nationalism, like if you don't agree and align with these, then not only are you unpatriotic, but you're actually not in sync with the heart of God. She's like, why would I believe that? And then she said, I, di- I didn't know why I would believe in a God that had cultural demands on me. Like, you, ha- you have to live here, and you have to function this way, and you have to push this national agenda, and you have to be on this side of the issue. And she's like, why would, I, why would I believe in a God that was just dictating all that to me? And then she said, and I didn't want to believe in a God that was pressed on me through my family's expectations. You're going to do this. You're going to function this way. You're going to marry this kind of a person. You're going to live in a place like this. You're go- you are going to own our vision and our values, or you are not going to honor God. So she said, all of that was completely unappealing to me. And then she said this. She said, I also could not bring myself to follow a God who demanded nothing more than submission to rules. So if you know anything about like Pharisees or teachers of the law, like Judaism is, is racked up with, with rules. And she said, I thought it was wildly unfair that God would impose all these rules on us, his followers, but he didn't have to live by them. And he wasn't here and he didn't have to keep the Sabbath and not make things with leaven and like, he didn't have to do any of that. And then she said, and I thought it was just as unfair or ultimately unfair if the standard for salvation is perfection, but you're God and you are perfect and you set the standard. So it's easy for you to keep. And so she said, I just had absolutely no use. No use for God. No use, she would have said religion. I had no use for that in my life. She said, until one day I read Isaiah chapter 53, which was forbidden in her home. And she's like, oh, I'm not allowed to read it? That's the one I'm reading, (laughs) right? So none of you are allowed to read it. (laughs) And she said, when I read Isaiah chapter 53, she said, I learned for the first time that God... Jesus came to be with me. I never knew that. I learned that he suffered. He was crushed. He was beaten. He was whipped. I didn't know that. I didn't know that he was just not up in heaven passing down another policy. I had no idea that that's how that played out. I learned that he was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And then she said, she said, I learned that he wasn't murdered. He laid his life down. I didn't know that. I thought he was just murdered. That's how, that was what I knew about Jesus. I didn't know that he never opened his mouth, even though he was unjustly condemned. He kind of let it happen. She said, I learned that his life was taken away. I learned that he was humiliated. I learned that he was denied justice. I learned that he was struck down. I learned that he had never done wrong. He had never deceived. He was buried like a criminal. And then I learned that it was God's good plan. That it was all on purpose. And that he was satisfied 
to have completed God's good plan. And she said, when I learned all of that, and I understood all of that, it like clicked. Like I was missing that, and it clicked. And when it clicked, she was like, that's, I just found the piece of the puzzle of my life. And everything I've experienced, everything I saw, everything that I have to dream about in my trauma, everything that I hated, everything that I resented, the bitterness I had toward my, when I realized that there was, that Jesus was with me here, and that he had endured so that he could make sense to me, I found what I was looking for. That, that's what happened to the eunuch. The eunuch did not make a impulsive decision. He did not make a, uh, a, an emotional decision. He just found what he was looking for. And when he found what he was looking for, when Philip explained the gospel from that scripture forward and told him about Jesus, the eunuch was just like, I, I just, I want in on that. I'm done. I found it. That's it. I got it. And he, he accepted the love and the salvation of Christ because without really knowing it, he had been looking for the love and the salvation of Christ. And suddenly, all these parts of his life that he hated... Like I have been forced to be something I don't want to be. All these parts of his life that were painful, where he was despised and rejected. All these parts of his life that he, he could not rectify. How, how can I be so successful and feel like such a failure? How can I have everything in the world and be completely unsatisfied by it? There's got to be something else that's missing when Philip explained to him that, yeah, literally who you're reading about and what you're thinking about and what you want is the person of Jesus Christ, it clicked for him. So they're riding along in the carriage, talking about Jesus. He would have, we would say, accepted Christ as a savior. And then he was like, hey, there's water. There's water. Why don't you baptize it? That was the eunuch's idea. That wasn't Philip's idea. He's like, yeah, we'll get baptized. Well, you haven't taken the baptism class. Well, <laughs> there's not a camera crew to capture your testimony. So yeah, I, he, he's like, I'm in, I'm done, it's over, I'm in. And I want to, I have salvation, and I want to fully identify my life with Christ. Remember, this is, there would have been an entourage. This isn't just Philip and the eunuch out in the middle of the dead. There's people that work for him. He's like, I'm in, and I want that. That is the exact same thing that the shepherds did. When the angels showed up, they're like, hey, fear not, which I think is, I think is the funniest verse in the whole Bible. Right? Fear not. How do you not fear? Anyway, like, fear not. And they say, Let's, I got good news, great joy. Today, and say, David, a Savior has been born. When they did all that, they were like, the, the angels left. They're like, let's go find the baby. We're in. They didn't process it. They didn't get experts involved. They didn't cross-reference it. They're like, Savior's been born. Let's go find the baby. It's what the wise men did. They came from afar. And apparently they rode camels. That's what my nativity says. 
and they rode in and they interact with Herod and they're looking for the baby and they find Jesus and they bowed and worshiped him. They didn't, when they found him, they, they weren't like, I don't know, is it the right baby? They all look alike, I'm not sure. They, they were like, this is who we have been looking for. And they bowed and they worshiped him right then. This is what I am seeing all over the place. It's not emotional, it's not impulsive, it's just like I'm done. It, 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 that everything around me is so dark that when I see light, I recognize the light. And I go to the light, and people are responding in these incredible ways. This summer, we were doing a youth conference. I'm talking at this youth conference. I give this hard invitation. Like, you know, come follow Jesus, but you're going to lose your life and everybody's going to hate you. I think I actually said that. I, I would not let, I had the house lights turned on and I wouldn't let the band play. Like, nobody's going to cheer for you when you follow Jesus. Walk up here. The, the, the response was so incredible that I stopped the invitation and I said, do you understand what I just said to you? Did you hear me? Because I tried to tell you for 40 minutes before I asked you. And all these teenagers were like, yeah. Oh, we're in. Th this madness, whatever it is, we can't make sense of it, but Jesus makes sense and you just explained him. We're in. We're like, a, a couple weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, I'm out in the lobby. A guy comes out in the lobby, and uh, he comes out in the lobby. He goes, hey, he goes, can you lead me to God? I was like, what? Call me off guard. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, I want to accept Christ. I'm like, well, I used to do that on Tuesdays. <laughs> I don't, I'm like, yeah. I was like, do you believe Christ is the son of God? He's like, yes. Yeah. So you asked for forgiveness of your sin? I said, yeah. So we're sitting there praying. Right? People are milling around in the lobby. By the way, he came forward and got baptized last service. That was fun. Super fun, right? But he just accepted Christ in the lobby. Uh, a month or two ago, there's a guy in the front row. Front row just stood up. Said, I want to accept, in this service, so I want to accept Christ. I was like, I haven't even, I haven't even used my best illustration yet. You can't possibly. But he's like, that, I'm looking for that. I'm in. Life was not lined up. Theology was not put in place. There wasn't cross-references. There weren't classes. The Ethiopian eunuch didn't have them either. He just found what he was looking for. And this is happening all over the place. It happened in our church. Co collective, our young adult ministry, goes on a retreat. They proclaim the gospel. They have a baptism. Pastor Josiah is like, anybody else want to get baptized? They baptize people for four hours. He's like, yeah, I'm in. Our youth ministry, there'll be three, four hundred teenagers here on a given Wednesday. They, they baptized a bunch of high school students last week, like last Wednesday, in front of their peers. You know how hard it is to get baptized in front of your peers? You know how gutsy that is? I was talking to a friend of mine. We were talking about all this. This guy's old. He's like 60, you know, like near death. And, and so... He, and he, he reminded me, he goes, Jeff, he goes, you remember when you baptized me? I was like, I do, Mike. I remember when I baptized you. This was about 10 years ago. We had set up an a inflatable pool in the parking lot. It was summertime, and we had just had a baptism service, and then it was a Sunday, Sunday night, 
uh, we came in and had like a, I was teaching through something, and I taught through something, and I, it had nothing to do with responding to Jesus or baptism. It, it was about the end of time is, is what I was talking about. And so we're praying, and I look, I look up, Mike's standing there. I'm like, what are, you, what are you doing? Why hasn't anyone tased you? How did you get this far? And he, he goes, I want to be baptized. I was like, right now? He's like, yeah. I said, okay. So I told the service, I said, hey, we're going to go baptize Mike. So we go out, he's got his clothes on, like somebody grab his phone, that was phone. And I'm serious. And so he just got baptized. He got his clothes on, got baptized. Well, I pray for him, I look up, there's a line. I'm like, you want to get back? Yeah, you want to get back? By the way, this has been half, this is why you coming into service, this service was chaotic. There's probably 20 people that got baptized last service. And we wrapped the service up. This just happened an hour ago. We wrapped the service up. I'm out in the lobby talking. Teenager and his parents come up to me, big kid. He's in tears. And his mom goes, he wants to be baptized. Can we just do that now? I was like, yep. So we walked in, everybody's milling around, talking. We walked in here, hopped in the water. I turned, somebody turned the mic back on. I said, hey, everybody pay attention. I baptized him. Well, I looked up, there's a line. Just baptized four people. That's why it was weird getting in the service and why the sound is messed up and that kind of stuff. Because we didn't get to reset anything. Because we were just dunking away. <laughs> what is that? That's people looking and saying, I, I'm just in, man. I'm done. I'm done. There was one lady baptized her last night. She came, gave me a hug, and we were getting ready for it. And she said, I've come here for 10 years. I'm done. I, I, I have tiptoed and played around, and I'm done. I'm in. I want in. Just dunk me. <laughs> one lady, we baptized her. Her daughter baptized her, and she got out of the baptistry. She soaked in her clothes. Then she went and taught her Sunday school class. This is, this is, this is what the eunuch did. He's like, I found, I'm done. That's what the shepherds did, the wise men did. And that's what I see happening all around. It's not this big emotional move. It's not, it's not the swell and the crescendo of the music. It's people looking at their life, and kind of our world, and like there's gotta be something greater. And then Jesus is explained, and they're like, that's it. I'm done. There's water, dunk me. I accept who Christ is. So what's on my heart, guys, this Christmas season? is like, I need you to know this. I need you to know this. I need you to know that the person who is missing in your life is the person of Jesus Christ. I need you to know that when you feel rejected and despised and outcast and alone, you have a savior who has walked in your shoes so that you could recognize him. I need you to know that that, that sin those wrong things you're doing and you know they're wrong and they haven't bugged you forever but they bug you now, I need you to know that that is that same Savior calling you with kindness to repentance because that sin is going to destroy you. 
And he is the source, the only one of salvation. And I need you to know that he crawls in, whatever your carriage is, he crawls in there. And when you sit here like a day like today and somehow it all makes sense, that is God speaking to you because the Bible says that the, the cross is foolishness to most people. Most people would look and say, that's just the dumbest, most fairy tale thing I've ever heard. The reason that that sounds logical and right and appealing to you right now is because God is calling you. It's just Philip being sent to meet the Ethiopian. The reason that you would look and say, man, I, God is usually on the external of my life and I need him to be on the internal and somehow that, when that is explained, that's what makes sense. I don't care how long you've sat in church. That's what makes sense. That's because God is pushing into your life. He, he, he came at Christmas so that you and me could do that math. And everything that we deserve and all the pain, some of it that we don't, all the trauma, all the wins, all the status, none of it. If you looked and said, my life is like full of loose ends because I have these big, big wins, but I'm not happy. I have like this beautiful family, but she doesn't satisfy me. I have like this ego, but I feel wildly insecure. I'm super prideful about my opinions, and I'm super anxious about what people think about them. That all of your life, all those loose ends, they only weave together through the person of Jesus Christ. And like I need you to know, that, that is what you want, and that is what you long for, and that is why this all makes sense in this moment, and it hasn't before. And that's what happened to that Ethiopian. He was searching, he was longing, the gospel was explained, and he's like, I'm done. And I went, on, I went in on that, and I went in all the way on that. If you have never asked Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, if there's a part of your life that you've hidden from God or you've hardened to God, and you know that it's a rebellion it's a fear, it's an anxiety. If you have never invited Christ into those places and given him the full authority over your life, allowed, ask him to define and direct who you are, then I wanna say to you what Philip said to that Ethiopian, that there is a savior who came, and he came because you and I are in sin and in pain. And he came to bring a salvation that brings forgiveness, freedom, and life. He laid his life down and he took it up again. And he says that he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to salvation except through him and his name is Jesus Christ.
And if you have never asked Jesus to forgive you or change you or help you, to cleanse you of your sin, and this somehow makes sense to you in a way that has never made sense before, then I want to say to you today that you should turn from your sin, you should ask Jesus to forgive you, and you should go all in like the Ethiopian did. When he did that, his life was changed. In fact, 99% of scholars believe that the Ethiopian eunuch is the one who took the gospel to northern Africa. When you understand the geography of history, the gospel went to Greece, it went out to Asia, and then it went to Africa. And it was really through Africa that it came into Europe. We think it came from Europe because of the Renaissance, not because of the Bible. But it was really the Ethiopian eunuch that introduced that and brought it. So in many ways, we're sitting here because a guy, a guy found out that Jesus loved him. And then he couldn't shut up about it because it so radically changed his life. A broken guy, a mistreated guy, a rejected guy who had everything in the world but was dead on the inside. And I need you to know that that salvation is there for you today, right? So he accepted Jesus and he was baptized. You wanna get baptized, there's water right there. It's warm even. You wanna get baptized, I'll baptize you today. We've been doing this all week. I'll baptize you right now. I don't care. It's not that cold outside. You can go home wet. Right? But the, the, God's, if God is stirring in you, right, if he's stirring in you, then respond to that. Respond to that and do it today. So this is what I want to do. Let's um, ask the band to come out. Why don't we bow our heads and close our eyes and I just want us to pray, okay? I just want us to pray and I want, you to, I want you to interact with God. So Jesus, in these moments, would you just meet us here in a personal way? God, you're speaking to some of us. You're making sense. Our hearts are racing a little bit. And God, that's just you working in our hearts. So if you have never accepted Christ, using your words, not copying mine, God doesn't care what you say, he cares what you mean, but using your words, ask Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin, invite him into the most painful, secret, hidden places of your life, surrender those things, those parts to him, and what you're doing is you're saying, you're my missing piece. I'm following you. I want to be, be one who learns to obey all that you command, who learns to walk and follow you, who understands your scripture. But you're my missing piece. And Jesus, you're making sense to me today. And if you have never asked Christ into your heart, do that right now. I'm serious about baptism if you want. I'm gonna, I sit up here in the front row. We're gonna sing a song. If you wanna get baptized, come up here and talk to me. I'll baptize you. Or, we'll, or your friend can. 
If God is, if, if he's stirring in you, let him stir. Go there. Because he came here. Right? So Jesus, as you move among us, we want to receive your love, your forgiveness, your truth, your call. God, give us hearts that respond, minds that are open. And God, let us embrace kind of how you're calling us and drawing us even now.